Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the All American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Johnny McKeelan. He's a good friend of mine and a friend of the show. Matt Moretz rejoins the podcast. How are you doing, Matt? Johnny, great to be back. Great to be here on the show talking, uh, talking golf with you. It's great to have you back, and, and I'm doing great because I get to talk about the US Open with you here today on the podcast, and I love having you on the show because you have such a, a depth of knowledge about the game, about players, you're a great golfer yourself, but I think you are uniquely qualified to speak on this event. The US Open was just held at Torrey Pines in San Diego. You're a San Diego native. You grew up playing Torrey, junior tournaments there. What does it mean to have just watched a US Open at Torrey Pines, at your home course, what was it like seeing your childhood course host the U.S. Open? Well, yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many memories that I have playing this uh, amazing, amazing golf course. Um, you know, I think about the times where I've I've spent. You know, there's many times where I've on the uh, standing on the third tee box taking pictures of people from all around the world. Meanwhile, I'm there just after school because at, at Torrey Pines they have. Uh, well, they had, I don't know if they still do. It's owned by the city. So they have a, a junior ticket is what they call it. So you pay $10 and 50 cents a month and you play for free if you're a junior and a, and a resident of the city. So every day after school, I, I'd go out there and, and, you know, try to get in as many holes as I can. And there's, you know, moments certainly where, you know, I remember standing on the 13th green um, alone, nobody on 12, nobody on 11 and just kind of taking in, the surroundings and thinking about how many, um, you know, how many tournaments have been played there and how many tournaments will be played. This is before the 08 open. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, very special place um, for a lot of people, certainly for me as well. And it's set up for what I thought was an incredible US Open test. Uh, the fairways so thin, only 26 to 28 yards wide. The rough was so heavy absolutely brutal it's just so easy to get in that rough and then try and chop your way out and then suddenly you're in the left-hand rough as well I thought the course was in incredible condition and one of the things I was looking forward to the most with this this U.S. Open being hosted at Torrey was kind of the character of Torrey how do you think it held up as a U.S. Open test yeah I mean it you need not look any further than the than the rough at Torrey Pines and I think the the combination of the different grasses, namely the Kikuya grass, which is the native grass in Southern California. Um, you can find it at a bunch of different courses, uh, including Riviera, actually. The, the, the blades are just so thick. And so given the length of the rough, you know, the length of the rough is one thing, but just the density of it is so, is so incredible. And, you know, on a regular, on a regular day with regular golfers, 
play is slowed down so much because so many people are just simply looking for their ball in the second cut of rough. I mean, that's, you know, you really, unless you have spotters out there, you really can't, you're searching for your ball. Like you'd be searching in, you know, bushes, basically it, it is so incredibly thick, which is why I think Bryson DeChambeau had a shot on 12. He hit it to the right on Sunday and, and he hit it. He was in such thick rough and he hit it. I think to the, just the front part of the green, like people at home don't realize how incredible that was to, mm-hmm. for him to hit that shot online and with the power that he did to get that ball. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the wind playing a factor too, you know, hole three is about 50 yards downhill. But I was saying to my buddy, I was watching with eyes. I never club down. If anything, I club up because that wind is, is it's not a link style course. So you're not feeling all of the wind from where you're standing because of it's, it's on a cliff. So the wind that you're getting is, is always up high. Um, you're not at sea level, so you don't really feel much of that wind. So it, it plays, you know, very tricky in that sense. Um, hole 11, same thing. I mean, it's downhill, but that, that hole is so, so, so difficult. And, you know, having played it so much and knowing where I would hit my drives or what clubs I would hit on certain holes and seeing where these guys are, it's just like, you know, it, and I, and I consider myself a pretty good golfer, but it's just so otherworldly. And I don't, you know, people, unless you've played the course a bunch of times and know kind of where certain things are, I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Like hole one, I think there's, I, I don't think I've ever hit it past those bunkers in the fairway. And I think DJ like flew him, you know, on his, on his drive. Yeah. It's just like, it, it's, it's just remarkable. Sometimes when you watch these guys, you think like, oh, I'm going to go out and try that swing or I'm going to try to see if I got that shot in my bag. And the truth is that they're, they're out there playing, you know, we play checkers and they're out there playing chess on steroids. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just a totally different game. And I yeah. think that, uh, you know, you mentioned knowledge of the course was, you know, that you have and knowing how to play there. I think that it's a regular stop on the PGA Tour. They always come to Torrey Pines in January. This is a, obviously the first time since 2008 that they've hosted a U.S. Open. So a lot of talk was about will course knowledge help? And I think let's get into the action of the tournament because... It seems as though that did help. John Rahm has won the nationwide tournament at Torrey Pines in January. And John Rahm is the first Spanish US Open winner. What did you make of John's performance this week and his performance in general at Torrey? And then, of course, this incredible finish he had on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he's he's always felt comfortable at Torrey Pines. And he even said in his post-round interview, I thought it was so funny, he was like, you know, my wife and I fly into San Diego and we just, we feel like it, it, we just feel a peace. And it's just, and we come to Torrey Pines. I, I proposed to her at, at the, you know, at the hiking trails here in the preserve. And, and, you know, we just love being in San Diego so much. And Torrey Pines is, has such a special place in our heart. Anyway, we're going to get her back on a plane to Scottsdale, back home to Scottsdale. I'm like, what, what are you doing in Scottsdale then, buddy? You know, like if you love Torrey Pines and you love San Diego so much, then why don't you move here? But, um, his game, I mean, we'll get to the, I think the redemption of, of what happened at, with him at Memorials as well in a second. But I mean, his style of play is so, you know, to, to perform well at Torrey, I think you have to be an amazing driver of the golf ball and an amazing iron player. Not so much an emphasis on putting, although we mm-hmm. saw that there was coming down the stretch, as with any major tournament, you know, there is an emphasis on putting. And John Rahm seemed to be the only person that, that, that 
you know, had a had any semblance of a of a putting game. But people also don't realize how or maybe they do realize how how small the greens are at Torrey Pines. Um, they're not super quick. They're not super fast. They're not super hard because it's near the ocean, but they're very small. And so hitting greens is, you know, is such a key thing at Torrey Pines. I think more than anything, hitting greens is just is such such a pertinence on hitting and hitting those greens. Yeah, hitting greens and hitting fairways with the fairways so narrow as well. It's just absolutely key. So many players talked about hitting fee- hitting greens and hitting fairways. And you kind of look at some of the courses that they hit on tour and some of these bigger, well-known American courses. They're just full of hazards and trouble and water and ridiculous high-pitched bunkers. And when you look at Tory, part of it looks simple, but that's part of what makes it so wonderfully challenging. Mm-hmm. The setting, that bluff that you're set up against, the the way that the wind might affect it, the way that there's just such little margin for error in hitting these narrow fairways. I, I talked about it in the preview of, uh, in my last episode. I thought that Tory was going to be one of the big characters for this week, and I think we'll keep coming to Tory as a guiding light for this tournament. And it's set up for one of the most exciting finishes in a long time. Sunday was really, really exciting. We've had the last couple of major tournaments, it's been about a guy holding on or a guy just needing bogey on the last. It was so exciting to watch a US Open where it was birdies on the back nine that really counted. Five under was the score going into Sunday. That was the where the lead was. And it only John Rahm only won by one shot, which was six under. Mm. Um, there were so many people in contention. It seemed like it kept whipping around as far as who to focus on. Bryson was in it for a minute there. Rory was in it for a minute there. And of course, Louis Ustase was in it for a minute there, that, which was so tough. But then the redemption story of John Rahm, like you mentioned, you know, John was playing in the Memorial Tournament, had a six-shot lead on Saturday, putts it out on the 18th green, and then they informed him that he had tested positive for coronavirus. He'd have to go into quarantine and lockdown. And he handled the situation, I think, incredibly well. What did you think of the situation as it happened? And, I mean, what an incredible redemption story, truly. Yeah, I mean, I think if you ask John Rahm if he'd rather have, you know, the Memorial or, or the U.S. Open, I think he'd pretty, he'd pretty easily say the U.S. Open. You know, so I think I think it's a little bit of redemption and and a bit of sigh of relief for him. Um, it, it certainly was a tournament that was that was won. It wasn't lost, and in mm. it's just evidenced by it, it was anybody's tournament in the front nine. And you know, you really had no you had so many big names: Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, and Rory McIlroy, and um, John Rahm, Louis Ustase, and John Rahm just wanted he just wanted it more. It seemed, I, you know, I mean, how many, I, I was commenting, how many, how many times is Rory going to miss those 15, 10, 10, 15 footers? I mean, he just, he, he just kind of sneaks by the lip every single time. And it's just, if he, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry. I like, I like Rory a lot. And it's, it's now crazy that it's been seven years that he's not won a major championship in the prime of his career, which is just remarkable that, you know, a player of his caliber has gone seven years in the prime of his career without winning a single major after winning a handful. But until he fixes the putting, I'm sorry, he doesn't deserve to win major championships. Like you can't putt like that and expect to win majors. You can't putt like that and expect to win PGA Tour tournaments, but to win the majors and the U.S. Opens and, you know, the Masters, which would, you know, complete his career grand slam. I'm sorry, like you can't, you have to putt better than that. I mean, it's just, and 
you know, seeing what Rom did on 17 and 18, I mean, that's, that's vintage tiger. That's, that's even, I would say, you know, 2015 Jordan Spieth. I mean, Spieth was almost automatic from that range. And, you know, Louis, again, like Rory just didn't, just didn't want to hold any putts. And he did the, you know, the thing that you, that you can't do at all, which is go left on 17. And he did. And, you know, I was pulling for Louis pretty hard because he's been so close so many times. And, you know, it's, it's just the mistakes that you make coming in, you know, he was trailing, so he didn't necessarily lose it, but, uh, but he, you know, he, he needed to, he needed to perform better than that. And he birdied 18 and could have, you know, gotten to a playoff if he didn't hit it out of, you know, in the, in the hazard. So, but I think it's just a testament to how <clears throat> John Rahm kept his nerve, kept his composure hold a couple really great putts. You know, let's not forget he was in the bunker on 17, you know, and yeah. he could have drawn a pretty, pretty bad lie. And he was up against the lip, but he had some lip problem to deal with. And he just can, and he, you know, converted, you know, and that's how you win. That's how you win major championships is just, you know, that tenacity and just that mental reserve and, and um, composure, which he, which he held, which is, un, which is rare for John Rom. I know I texted you. I'm not a big fan of John Rom, and I'm, and I'm not a big fan of John Rom because he, tends to let his temper get the best of him, uh, kind of like his fellow, uh, his fellow countryman, Sergio Garcia. But he just, he totally kept his composure and he totally was dialed in going to 17, 18. He showed that kind of fire when he made those putts, which I think has been missed. You know, it's that, that fist pumping and the yelling and the screaming, you know, that's, that's, what we, that's what we want. That's what we need. And that's what Tiger brought to the game. And I think these young guys are kind of following suit. You certainly don't see Louis Oosthuizen jumping around like that when he makes a putt. So, I mean, he drained an eagle on Saturday on the 18th, and he had had a tough round, but he literally, he just like kind of strolled along and did the, yeah, just, the yeah, very yeah. simple golf wave like he had just tapped in a par. I mean, Louis is not necessarily the most exciting golfer, but what, I mean, picture of consistency. And I think the majority of golf fans and golf experts thought after Saturday... Uh, Louis is going to hang on and Louis just needs to hold on and he did he did just need to hold on it was five under but then he just needed one more birdie just six under that's all he needed to get to there's there has to be something in the water in 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 South Africa for these guys because South Africa loves major championships well there must be something in the water in America because Louis never won on American soil I mean he just can't get it done he's never won in America it's it, one of the one of the best golfers in the game. He's always, as you like to call him, a big game hunter. Loves showing up at the majors, and he won at St Andrews in 2010, his only major championship. But he's come second in every single major tournament. But he's and he's also never won in America. Uh, it, I was. I Do was, you ever think, though? I mean, a, a bit of a controversial uh, opinion, and I have this opinion about maybe Ricky Fowler because everybody's like, "Oh, Ricky, when is he? When is he going to be back?" Because he didn't qualify for the U.S. Open. Yeah. But you know, when is he going to be back? And in all of the, all these things, and you know, do you ever just think maybe these guys are just like just cool, making millions and millions of dollars, and you know, just playing golf and earning earning a big paycheck and going back to Louis, going back to his farm and sitting on his tractor and just you know, buying different pieces of land throughout the cut, you know, maybe he's just cool with that, you know, and, and maybe Ricky's just cool being, you know, now he's married to, you know, his beautiful wife and lives in Florida and hangs out and plays golf every now and then. Like maybe he's just cool with that, you know, cause there's people like Tiger who, you know, he's got that kind of championship spirit in his, in his, in his blood, 
And, you know, I would say the same for maybe John Rahm and, and yeah. a couple other guys, but maybe they're just cool. It's just, just being, you know, kind of elite players that don't win. Uh, that that is an interesting point I, I mean i think that ultimate you know major champions are what these guys strive to be they want to be major champions but there seem to be more fight in ram i think sometimes you see it and you know you mentioned his temper before but with this whole covid situation people reacted in different ways like oh let him go out in a mask and finish alone and whatever else the protocol was the protocol you can have your opinion on, on whatever else but he followed it and he followed it admirably and didn't moan. And even when he, in his post-round interview after winning yesterday, he said, when he would talk to his family, they'd say, oh, it's so awful. Oh, how you do? This is so terrible. And he went, no, no, just wait. Just wait. Something's good is going to happen. Something good is mm. going to happen. And my goodness, something great happened for John Rahm. He is a U.S. Open champion. He's the first Spanish U.S. Open champion. Spent time at number one in the world. And now forever will be referred to as U.S. Open champion John Rahm. lot of different stories throughout the week and a big one leading up to it of course he has just won at Kiowa and hoping that the San Diego course the hometown boy could have a little bit of luck I call him the hometown boy but he should be the, the hometown man really Phil Mickelson there were high hopes leading into it he obviously made the cut but really wasn't in contention at all on Saturday and Sunday what did you make of Phil Mickelson's attempt to try and capture the elusive US Open in his Grand Slam career I mean, you said it, it's elusive. Um, I mean, it's, it's incredibly elusive. And I think it's one of those things that just kind of lives in his head rent free is this, is this elusiveness of, of the U S open, you know, same can be said for Rory at, at Augusta. And, you know, I don't think I, I, it would have been cool for Phil to win it last year at Wingfoot for redemption's sake. And then mm. it obviously would have been cool for him to win it this year, being the hometown, being the hometown hero. But, um, I don't know if you saw the video of him bringing the bringing the chair down for John Rahm's wife and, and kid, and you know they're they're close because they're they're both you know ASU Sun Devils and Tim Mickelson was was John Rahm's coach, um, I believe at, U, at ASU, and um, you know just he's just he's a class act and he's you know he is on the tour, Mister San Diego. There's no doubt. He was actually talking in an interview. He said that him and he's been playing a lot of golf with. Uh, with Xander Shoffley and Charlie Hoffman, both of whom are, are, um, are San Diego golfers and like, Oh, how, you know, how's, how's that going? He's like, yeah, Xander's really giving me a tough time. And that's kind of all he said. <laughs> so, yeah. so Charlie's Charlie's, pr you know, proving pretty easy work for you, huh? <laughs> I don't know, comment. <laughs> but yeah, he's, they, they, you know, they, they play a lot of golf together and, uh, and, you know, I love that. I love that the San Diego boys are kind of, uh, banding together if you will and uh and getting out getting out there and competing against each other xander shoffley was who i was about to mention next he was probably one of the best stories in early in the week and someone that people were talking about and like you you like to call him a big game hunter he plays really well in major tournaments but just looking for that kind of big finish he was at the age of 14 when he watched tiger in 2008 at tory he was there on the grounds and when they announced that it would be hosting again, they announced that the 2021 would be 
you know, they announced it back in 2014. He was sitting on the sofa with his father and he said, you know, we've got to try and make it there. And obviously he's having an incredible golf career and he was you know, destined to go and play in the US Open. And he would have loved to have had the opportunity to play better at Torrey Pines. Do you think Xander has, you know, we talked about John Rahm and how he, he won the tournament. I love how you said it. Nobody, lo- you know, this tournament wasn't lost. It was won. And John definitely won it. Do you think that Xander has that kind of steeliness to go out in the same situation with a jammed leaderboard? It's wide open going out and having that steely resolve and that finish. I think it's yet to be seen uh, if he does. Right now, I would say no. Um, you know, I'd say the same about, frankly, Louis. You know, I, we, I knew Louis was in the lead, and I was like, he ain't winning this thing. You know, it's, mm. he doesn't – someone's going to – you know, Rom's going to – I think this is when DeChambeau was collapsing. You know, somebody's going to come out and uh, – or, you know, Rom's going to come back and, and make a few birdies on the back, you know, because Rom has that – has that that warrior mentality that that spirit of like i'm gonna do whatever it takes to you know grind it out and, and make some make some good putts make some good birdies and i don't think you know xander like ricky fowler um like louis Ustazen, you know they just they just don't want it enough it seems um and they're almost too cool to like really get it done and you know, you look at, you know, look at Tiger. I mean, when he was dominating, he was, there was none of that in him. There was none of that coolness, that kind of, that just kind of easy stroll. And they were talking about how Louis was almost like he was walking on air. It's like, well, you can't be walking on air when he made yeah, Sorry, like a, you, you can't. Point. You have to, you know, you have to be, you know, gritty and, you know, you know powerful and, and dominant and, you can't just be kind of ho-hum, hitting greens, two putt, tapping par, you know, to win, to win you, to win U.S. Opens, but to win any major tournament, um, you know, pars get you, get you a good finish at the Open. And I think birdies win it for you, and because there's there's not a lot of them out there, and you know, Rom Rom snagged Rom snagged a couple of amazing birdies coming in. Birdies on the back nine, you know, I mean that's that resolve, that finish, that fight. And and Rom certainly had it. It was you know quite something to watch. I don't know that he had quite a lot of fight, but my goodness, what an amazing story from earlier in the week. Richard Bland, the Englishman, had only just won for the first time his first European tour event in four hundred and seventy-eight tournaments as a professional. To give you some sort of context of time for that, that's about twenty-five years of playing as a professional and never winning a tournament. 48 years of age, wins his first time. He won the English Masters, and he'd only played in three major tournaments before. And Friday night, he went to bed with the lead at the US Open. What did you make of Richard Bland? What did you make of his his play? And what an what an incredible story, truly. I know I know I'm a bit biased because he's an Englishman, and I was I was going to say I think you're a little bit biased because you're <laughs> you're you're a fellow a countryman, but. Um, more yeah, excited I mean, about the Euros. I was like, come on, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it, it's a, I think he was also, he was paired with um, the amazingly named Guido Migliosi. The best. It's just, yeah. And, and he was and who he defeated in that, in that playoff, I, I believe at the English masters. I think they played against each other when he got oh, his, really? his, his win at the English masters. So they were paired together in the last day and, and Guido actually made a couple of great, great chip ins and he was fist pumping throughout the course and he was fired up. But 
Richard Bland. Yeah. I mean, amazing story. I, I think to just, you know, for a guy like that to play that well at the U S open, I mean, I don't think he was expecting to win. I don't think he was expecting to win, but to play as well as he did. And yeah, to, to have a lead at the U S open is, is, you know, not something to, to shake a stick at it, you know, at all. He's, it's incredible. There are times in a tournament where someone will kind of capture the lead or have a, you know, 18 hole lead, 36 hole lead. Richard Bland is one of those stories that won't be forgotten in all of that. I think that it was, it's quite a remarkable story and just a, a feat. You talk about some of the, you know, how Phil was the winner of a major at 50 years old and how older guys can still dominate in this game. And I think it adds a, I think it adds an incredible element to this game that you can go 25 years without winning and then suddenly come into the hottest form of your game at 48. I think there's something magic about that and something that makes this sport different than any other. I think it was an incredible story and, and only in golf, you know, only yeah. in golf. I mean, yeah, you saw it with Jack Nicklaus in, in 86 at the masters and tiger in 2019 at I mean, not that tiger's old, but given all that he's gone through, of course, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Phil Mickelson's not just some 50, 51 year old to come out and have a good week. You know, Tom Watson in 09 at the open championship at, at Turnberry. You know, these guys have have champion mentality. And I wouldn't put Richard Bland in that in that category no, of no, champion no. mentality given his given his exactly. long drought. Um, <laughs> but I will give the Englishman the, the credit where it's where it's due. And uh yeah, he I mean he played well and and just to yeah, again, play well at a at a US Open is 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 incredible. But you see, and that and yeah, like you said, that's the beautiful thing about the sport is that you know, um, you still see Albert Pujols hitting home runs, um, in the majors and that's, you know, that's cool, whatever, but like, it's not, you know, he's, he's not going to win MVP. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to earn these, these, these achievements that he did when he was younger, but with golf, you just, you never know. I mean, you never, ever know. And it is one of those sports that even, you know, it's what kind of bothers me about, about Bryson DeChambeau. He's so caught up in this technology and this, and this hitting it further and bombing it. And pal, you just shot 44 in the back nine of the U S open. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, you know, you, like you can talk about hitting it far all you want, but Louis stays in, is in the hunt and you're not. And Louis doesn't, you know, Louis hits it, you know, 293 on the fly, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to ask you about next. You know, Bryson kind of had this mentality and this, and this thought, going into Wingfoot, I'm just going to hit driver on basically every tee box that I can, put it as far down the fairway as possible. Even if it's in the rough, I'll just try and gouge it out there and just being closer to the green is beneficial. What do you think of that strategy at a US Open? Obviously, it's it worked in the past, but I... Uh, I, I have certain feelings about it. What do, what do you make of the, the, the bomb and gouge mentality of Bryson at a US Open? So the bomb and gouge doesn't bother me. And I think at a course like Torrey Pines, it suits a bomb and gouge player, um, you know, from playing there so much. And, you know, the, the year I played in the junior worlds there was 08. So it was, I think we played two months before the US Open. So they wow. were beating that thing up for, for the tournament. And, um, you know, playing from those back tees, you <sighs> you really have no choice but to like unleash driver. Um, you know, you're not, you're not getting on those back tees and, and pulling out, which is why um, there, you can't, you can't, you know, just for the average golfer to go out to Torrey Pines, you can't go back and play those tees because it's not, I mean, it's it slows up play because people want to play from where the pros play from, 
but it, it still doesn't play because there's just, it, they're so long, you know, the carry even on, on hole 13 from those back tees there, it, you know, it's, it's not carryable for a lot of golfers for, you know, 95% of golfers, they can't carry that ravine. You know, you have no choice, but to pull driver on most of those holes out there. And, you know, I think the bomb and gouge mentality from Bryson is, is correct. I think that's the way to play the course. Um, but I think where he stumbled is, you know, golf is such a mental game, right? And again, you can, you know, tinker every, everything to hit it, you know, 350 down the fairway. But if your mental game collapses, like it did for him, you know, he hits one shot right on 11 and all of a sudden he's, because he was striping it the whole day, one shot right at 11 and all of a sudden he's pushing everything. I mean, he pushed the, yeah. he pushed the drive on, or he pushed the, his tee shot on 11 um, to the right of the green, pushed his drive right on 12, pushed his drive right on 13, you know, and he's kind of hacking it out. And that, and that his ball ends up next to a case of Stella Artois. And it's just, it was just a, a total collapse. I think yeah. David Faraday said it was a catastrophe yeah. and it was, but it's not his game that's falling apart. It's his mental capacity that has just basically left, you know, and, and it just goes to show you how, how important it is to keep your, to keep your mental composure. And, you know, again, I've said it, I've said it a couple of times now. It's, you know, that's what John, that's how John Rahm won this tournament is he kept his mental composure and he, you know, he really grinded it out and, um, and made, made the putts where it counted. And you can't do that if you're, if you're, you know, you're in your head too much. I'm not going to knock Bryson. I mean, he obviously, he won at Wingfoot with this same mentality and he was in the hunt. He was, he had a piece of the lead at one point on Sunday my big thing about this bob and gouge, you know, taking this mentality, he he obviously has realized that doesn't work at the Masters. So he's given up on the idea of doing it there. But at the US Open, I think for years to come, as, and as long as his body is hitting the ball as far as it is, he will keep going after this. But my biggest kind of thought on that is it brings too much risk into play. Sure, you can hit the ball 320, 330, 340, 350. I mean, he hits the ball an absolute mile. But if you put yourself in a trickier lie or you have a bad wedge shot and you make a double bogey, a double bogey in a US Open, it's like a quad. I mean, it's, it sets you back so far. And so I, I, I respect Bryson a lot and how he's trying to advance and change the game, how he's making the game more exciting, how he absolutely gets up there and just tries to rip it and pure it down the fairway. But I think it brings so much risk into play. Yes, at... at- at a course like Bay Hill or any PGA Tour tournament with with a course with a lot of hazards, but I think the beauty of Torrey Pines is that it doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. that you see in front of you at Torrey Pines is is what you get, you know, and is really not apart from that silly little pond on eighteen, um, which is kind of I, I think it's just a weirdly placed pond, um, but sure, you know. Apart from that, there's no hazards. I mean, Louis found one on, on 17, but you know, that's rare to go, to go left at 17 for these guys. And you're, you're not having to avoid hazards as much. And, you know, Tori definitely sets up like, all right, what you see is what you get. And this is, and the, this course is hard. This course is long. The rough is thick. The greens are small and you know that, and you can see that. And so take your best shot. And so I think for Bryson's bombing gouge mentality, at a course like Tory, and frankly, like Wingfoot, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. Wingfoot, 
requires much better putting, I think, than, than Torrey Pines. I mean, the, the greens at Wingfoot are certainly, I, I mean, they're, they're just incredible how undulating and quick and difficult they are. Um, Torrey doesn't necessarily have that, but it has that, that extra component of, of nature as well, where, you know, you're having to play with the wind and you're having to play with the kind of the density of the air and, and being at sea level. Cause you know, when, the, when that Marine layer kind of comes in a little bit, it, it does make the air more dense. And so you don't hit it necessarily as long. So, yeah, I mean, there's other components as well that make that course, that, that course tough. The one thing I said that they, and they always say it every single time they're at Torrey Pines and I don't quite understand it. And maybe it's just my, maybe I'm incorrect in this. And I want to get your kind of your thoughts as well. But every time like a putt is missed or, you know, breaks a little bit too much, they, they say it, it breaks towards the ocean, which it, it, to me doesn't make any sense. Like either the putt breaks downhill or it doesn't, it's gravitational pull. And I think that they talk about this ocean pulling the ball. Certain, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of BS in my opinion, but I, I mean, I want to know your thoughts. I feel like when you when you go and play a course sometimes and you're, you're checking in with the, the pro and you pay your tea time or whatever else, they'll say something like, hey, by the way, everything everything breaks this way on this course. Everything breaks toward the gate or everything breaks toward the Indio. away from the mountains. Yeah. Or I, th- There are too many factors, ultimately. I, I don't think that those rules are hard and fast. Um, you, you're going to have a part out there that doesn't break away from the ocean because of the way that a green's built up on a mound. I mean, I, I, I don't buy that as much. I don't think... I don't think there are universal rules like that for golf. I don't think golf's that easy, no. you know? Yeah. And, and Tory certainly isn't. Technology seems to advance with the game and they're trying to make the equipment better for all of the players. But I think uh, a big emphasis in the last couple of years has been about the viewing experience and advancing technology and the viewing experience. They came up with this AR app for the US Open. You could see a kind of bird's eye view of the course in augmented reality. So you could actually turn the camera around and Tory Pines could be sitting on your coffee table. Did you mm. play around with this app? I didn't. I saw the, I saw like the ads on t- and, uh, it looked it looked very interesting. Looks very cool, but yeah, it's it's making the game more interactive for fans because you know for the average person who doesn't watch golf, the first thing they say when you tell them that you watch golf and that you love golf, they're like, "Oh, golf's a boring sport to watch." But yes, if you don't know what's going on, it is a boring sport to watch. But the drama that ensues on a you know a back nine on a Sunday of a major championship, I mean, there, there's nothing boring about that, and and. And I felt, I felt like there were a ton of holdouts this week, like holdouts from, uh, we saw Russell Henley holdout from the bunker when he was playing with Richard Bland on Saturday, and then tons in the first couple of days. I thought, mm-hmm. oh my God, we might, have a, we might have a 10 under US Open at one point because mm-hmm. there's just so many guys holding out, holding out chips, holding out incredible shots, crazy long parts. So yeah, I mean, you can't say golf's not exciting. One thing I do I w- would say about this app is you did get a sense of the golf course. Sometimes you kind of feel like it's just tons of green and tons of straight fairways and you don't really get a sense of it. Tory sets up and you kind of have amazing angles from the television, but to see it all laid out and to have a proper look at it, it was quite cool. 
Mm. Um, nothing is clo- nothing comes close for me as far as a viewing experience like watching the Masters. Um, obviously, you, you know the course so well. It's the only major where they, they maintain it at the same place all the time. And the app where you can watch every single golfer's every single shot um, is amazing technology for that tournament. But I think yeah, as there's far nothing, as... There's nothing like the Masters app. I mean, nothing. It, for anybody who watches the Masters without the Masters app, I'm sorry. Like that's you're, you, you're doing you it wrong. Get the app. You gotta get the app. It's Doing just it. incredible how they do it. You know, we we talked about the win at Kiowa. We literally had our the last time I had you on the show. We we started right after the last part, and we started chatting about it. And huge news ended up breaking the next day in golf: a leaked video of Bryson walking behind Brooks and kind of chirping. Brooks getting ve- visibly very angry. Then the announcement of the match. What is it? 4.0 at 3.0, 4.0. The match, it's going to be Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Bryson DeChambeau. That kicked off a ton of Twitter drama that was going back and forward. We've not had a real proper chance to talk about this. What's your what's your take on the Brooks and Bryson feud? Well, I, I think if... <laughs> I think I'm definitely, I'm definitely team Brooks. Um, but I say that, you know, hesitantly, same hesitantly. me too. I, I'm team Brooks, but I'm not sure about it. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't like either of them. First and foremost. I mean, I don't like Bryson cause he's just, he's a nutcase. You know, I've mentioned it before with all his tinkering and stuff like that. It's just like too much. And like, you know, I mentioned that like, the only two other guys to wear like to wear that kind of Ben Hogan cap is obviously Ben Hogan and and Payne Stewart. And those guys have, you know, beautiful, fluid, traditional classic swings. And they just kind of like they're just so like kind of cool and calm and they swaggered on the golf course. And Bryson's just this big oafy dude in this hat. I'm like, dude, you can't just like put on that hat and like be called like Ben Hogan, you know, the next Ben Hogan and like you know, the revival of the Payne Stewart look like, dude, it just, it looks goofy on him. I think if he, and, and my buddy said, do you think if you wore like a regular tour hat, you'd like him more? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think if you put away that stupid hat and he wore like a regular, regular hat, you know, I, I'd like him more. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, and Brooks has this, like, <laughs> I always say with Brooks, like, he, in his interviews, he saw him, he's not saying it, but he's, he's really, he's saying like, yeah, like I, I don't really care about this tournament. Like, I don't really care about golf. Like kind of like, I kind of hate golf, but like, it's cool to be here, I guess, you know, like he kind of has that mentality of like, Oh, I'm like too yeah. cool for school. And like, I, I don't really care. But like then Bryson DeChambeau walks behind him and you like forget what you're talking about. Like, dude, you clearly care. Like you clearly, you know, you clearly give a shit. And and the feud on Twitter has been funny too with, you know, with them, you know, Brooks kind of apologizing to Aaron Rodgers that he has to play with Bryson. And, but yeah, I mean, I, listen, shooting a 44 on the back nine with being in contention at the U S open, like, sorry, team Brooks won this one this week, even though he didn't, he didn't finish, uh, finish super well. Do you think it's good for the game? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not bad for the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's turned off by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these guys have to be careful because they're going to be playing on Ryder Cup teams together and um, and President's Cup teams together. And, you know, there is, you know, there was always that kind of that tension between Phil and Tiger, but it wasn't, I mean, it was before social media and stuff like that. So it wasn't as, as blatant and out there. Um, 
but I, I don't know this. I think it's, yeah, I think it's good for the game because people are kind of paying attention to it, but I mean, call me old fashioned, call me, you know, whatever. But the fact that we were talking about this feud between Bryce and, and Brooks after Phil Mickelson won at, at basically 51 years old, like, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, that's, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm happy that, that there's this like, you know, cute little feud going on between two guys who didn't win, but Phil Mickelson won at 51 and he won a major yeah. tournament at 51. Yeah. I think he had the best Twitter quip where they were when, you know, Brooks and Bryson, there was all this going off. And then he kind of said, you know, the producers of the match, you know, they, they wanted the most recent PGA champ. <laughs> it's just yeah. such a good little dig from Phil. My favorite thing, because he's, he's, Phil's taken to Twitter pretty uh, amazingly. He's, I, I think he was, someone's tweeted, you know, at, at Phil Mickelson, hey, just another lefty, lefty wondering if you could give him, uh, your golf bag and Phil Mickelson just tweets back at him. Uh, Stop wondering. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, and then the best one though, I think was when he, there was, I, th- I think this actually, this actually happened because my, my, my family told me about it, but there were like tremors and like shaking going on in San Diego. I don't think it was earthquake related, but it might've been. Um, and th- so NBC San Diego uh, posted this tweet saying, you know, did you feel that these tremors are going on throughout San Diego? And then Phil Mickelson replies, sorry, guys, I was just I was test driving a few drivers at the Callaway, <laughs> the Callaway test facility. That's my bad. I'm sorry. I'll take that one. It's <laughs> like so, this so just so funny. And his little fireside with Phil chats. I just, you know, Phil's the man. Phil, Phil is the man. And he's used the he's used this kind of hype in the Internet and using Twitter and using Instagram in a way and I like you know like I asked you do you think it's good for the game ultimately I, I think it is good for the game I think it gets people excited I think people are interested in it people like rivalries but I think you're right they do have to be careful not just because they're going to be competing on teams together in the future and you know the Ryder Cup and President's Cup are uh, important events but they, they what they I think they need to be careful for is they're going to have really long careers these two guys are going to be playing against each other for a really long time yeah. and this ne- this relationship shouldn't become inherently negative it can be hard fought and a little tense and a little testy the, these guys obviously don't like each other and they're not going to like each other i'm not asking them to be like become best friends or anything but i think that there is when with a rivalry there comes kind of anguish and frustration and, and, and desire to win but there's also an in- intense amount of respect and that was what was great about the Phil and Tiger rivalry. I mean, there wasn't really a, a true... I don't think there was ever a real true rival to Tiger. Phil came the closest, but F- Tiger was just so leaps and bounds kind of ahead of the field. It, golf is... The field is so competitive. There are so many guys. Te- uh, look what happened on Sunday. There were so many guys in it. Guys who started Sunday at even par could go out and have a chance. Colin Morikawa, who came out of right. nowhere. I mean, I mean, it's it's so... There are so many elements that go into it, but I think ultimately golf is a game of respect. We respect these courses we get to play and, we, and you respect the field and it's about individual achievement. And I think that Brooks and Bryson are going to have a lot of time playing against one another and uh, there should be this respect. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it's good for either of their games too. I mean, you look at, yeah, there was no, he wasn't really a rival of Tigers, but Tiger was certainly in his head, which is Sergio Garcia. And as soon as Tiger jumped in that guy's head, he, he, you know, never won, you know, he not never won, but he, you know, went so long without winning a major. 
um, because he was just so like, yeah, he was just frustrated and just tiger and oh, like he's tiger and you know, tiger didn't care. He's like, oh yeah, Sergio. Yeah. I know that guy, you know, and, and um, Bryson and, and Bryson and Brooks now have something like to prove in this like battle against each other. And I think that's probably what jumped into Bryson's head on the back nine on Sunday is, you know, trying to prove something so that he can, you know, have, have a back-to-back open champ, you know, us open championship, like, like Brooks did a couple years ago. And yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's good for the game. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if the bench is clear in a, in a major league baseball game, you know, the, the fans aren't going to be just kind of like, all right, well, time to get a beer or time to go get some, you know, get a hot dog or whatever. They tune it. They're looking at what's going on. I mean, everybody's, everybody loves a good fight, a good feud, you know? Well, don't, don't mention baseball because we, Brooks probably would rather be a minor league baseball player than a professional golfer the way he talks about. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was an incredible US Open. We've had, uh, you know, three majors now. Hideki Matsuyama, Masters champion, Phil Mickelson, the PGA champion at Kiowa. And now the US Open has crowned its champion. John Rahm is the winner of the 2021 US Open from Torrey Pines. We've got one more major. The British Open at Royal St. George's starts on July 15th. It's been an incredible golf season so far. Any final thoughts on the US Open and, of course, your your course, your home course, Torrey Pines? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly lived up to the hype. And and um, I think if, if anybody watching uh, the tournament this weekend could take away anything, I think it's um, watching someone like John Rahm just fight his way to victory and coming from behind, getting it done when he needed to get it done, that mental composure, especially after what happened in Memorial. I mean, I, I think it's just, I think it's incredible. Um, I'm not even a fan of John Rahm at all. Um, I don't like the guy, but I just had to sit and, and marvel at, at, um, at his composure on, on the last few holes. And, you know, for a U.S. Open, for U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, you know, what a great story for him and, and especially for his, you know, his, his new son and uh, being at a place where he loves so much. I think it's really, uh, it's a really cool story. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I think it definitely lived up to the hype. Well, as always, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Really appreciate you coming on and chatting US Open, chatting Tory Pines. Appreciate it, pal. Thanks, John. Thanks again to Matt for coming on and joining me on the podcast, talking about the US Open. You can follow him at Matt Moretz on Instagram, and you can follow me at AA Britpod on Instagram and Twitter. For the All American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network, I am your host, Johnny McEwen. And until next time, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.